Hello. The following is a paid advertisement. Hey, there. my name is Glenn Moranis, and I'm here to talk to you about a serious issue that may be affecting someone you know. Does someone you know keep posting things like adulthood is realizing that you relate more to the Joker? Or, impl or other various memes implying that Batman supervillains, or possibly someone like Thanos may have been the real good guy all along? Well, you should be aware that your loved one, your friend, or relative might be putting out seriously dangerous levels of that guy energy. That's right. They might be putting out dangerous levels of it. So you need to sit down with your loved one and get into a serious intervention. Start out simple by sitting down with the loved one you have and just asking them basic questions that they may or may not know the answers to. Start out simple, like, how did you feel about the characters in Fight Club? Which one was most relatable? Do you think that people like Rick from Rick and Morty or Walter White from Breaking Bad are moral lessons or people to be looked up to? Ask them if they understand the purpose of satirically evil characters and their reflection on humanity. After that, you might want to move into some more complex questions like, how do you feel about the Holocaust? Do you think it happened? Where do you stand on biological women? What is your basic objection? What is your basic objection to race bending in films and media? And then maybe just go all the way. You know, with a series of questions about where they were on January 6th. Remember people, that guy syndrome is a serious problem facing our society today. Get out there and make sure your loved ones aren't in the wrong Facebook groups or associating with people who could best be described as dangerous whack jobs. Remember, it's up to you to make America safe again. You know, from America. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Oof, excuse me. Big old burp at the top there. Uh, will I take that part again and edit that out? Nope, we're going to keep on moving through the burps, because burps remind you that I'm human. That's right. And if you don't burp back when you hear me burp, you might want to get tested for being a psychopath. Or is that yawning? Now we're going to say it's burping. Anyways, moving along. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, it is with my absolute pleasure. Today, I'm going to be talking about a movie I just saw. A fantastic movie. A great movie. One of the best movies I've seen in a long time. And I've seen some great movies over the last year. Actually, 2021 produced a number of movies that I thoroughly enjoyed. But we're in 2022 now. And uh, i got to tell you right now, for my bang, for my buck, it's the fucking Batman, okay? God damn. I just saw it yesterday, and it was like the most Batman thing I've ever seen, which I will expand on as I continue here. So, just in case you haven't seen the movie, which is probable since it's brand new, I'm going to stick to the, the non-spoiler assessment here. So that you can come back later for the in-depth analysis on Batman and Privilege. Which I will be talking about in the second part of this film. I, second part of this podcast. But for the first part here, we're going to keep it non-spoilers. I will warn you when we get into the spoilers. Uh, so that you can stop there and come back later after you've watched this incredible work of fucking cinema. Whew. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into it. Uh, first of all, the first of all, let's talk about the performances. Cause my God, this film, holy shit! Look, the Christopher Nolan movies have some great acting throughout them. He's a great director, and he chooses great actors to work with. Heath Ledger, absolute fucking legend, incredible. And if I'm being honest, I think that all the people who have played Batman have brought at least a little bit of something to the role that was inherently true to Batman. Uh, even 
George Clooney, although in fairness, his, his, uh, what he brought to Batman was kind of superficial because it was just the fact that George Clooney is, uh, naturally has some of the same elements as a person as I would expect, you know, uh, Bruce Wayne to have. His Batman was terrible, but his Bruce Wayne, at least, you know, like, George Clooney's dopey, I'm barely acting, I'm George Clooney shtick kind of still works for Bruce Wayne. Side note, literally the only Batman without, like, a Batman voice. Well, no, I'm not going to say that. That might not be true. I'd have to go back and re-examine. I need to re-watch 19... I need to re-watch 1966 Batman film. Uh, I haven't watched that one in a while. Where was I? Robert Pattinson. Okay, so here's the deal. Okay, oh my god. Robert fucking Pattinson. Okay, so, like, full disclosure... I had never seen Robert Pattinson in a movie until I saw Tenet. That was literally the first time I ever saw Robert Pattinson in a movie. And you know what? Because uh, I didn't watch any of the Twilight movies. I've seen 0% of them. Uh, but that was the first movie I saw him in. And afterwards, I was like, damn. Robert Pattinson was real good in that. And then I saw The Lighthouse. And I was like, holy shit, Robert Pattinson is good. God dang. Oh, man. And let me tell you, though. Have you seen him in Batman? Batman is be Batman might be my favorite Robert Pattinson performance I've seen so far. To be fair, limited range, but a limited range of all fucking hits of him being fucking great. And the thing is here is that he might be the he might have been the perfect choice for Batman because when he gets into Batman, he fucking gets into it. Like I feel his Batman. There are like throughout the film, I feel like I'm more inside Batman than I've ever been before. Despite the fact that he also wears a mask for most of the movies, like, I could feel what Bat... I could feel his emotion of what Batman was experiencing coming out of him and his acting. It was fucking on point. Like, there's just... I would go into that, but it would be major spoilers. Whew. Where was... Oh, man. I'm super jazzed as fuck right now, guys. I was jazzed yesterday, and I'm jazzed today. Absolutely stellar shit. Robert Pattinson is fucking great and dynamic. Absolutely fantastic. Then you got Jeffrey. But one of the things that makes this film incredible isn't, is kind of the supporting cast. Because everyone in this movie is fucking killing it when it comes to acting. There's not a weak link in the chain. Oh my god. So it, which got, brings us to Jeffrey Wright playing Jim Gordon, who is on point and don't get me wrong i thought when i i thought gary oldman was a pretty much comic book perfect uh james gordon and i i didn't know what was missing well when i watched jeffrey wright i see the tiny thing that was missing with james gordon which is and to be fair there are re story reasons why we didn't get as much of that in those movies so i'm not saying it's bad still think gary oldman's gordon is fucking spot on but the thing that Jeffrey Wright and Robert Pattinson bring to this movie is that you can feel their teamwork. You can feel them having each other's back. You can feel them working together throughout. Like, they are partners. They are teammates. And not the same way that they are in the Dark Knight movies, where essentially, like, Batman will come in and he'll help Gordon out, and maybe Gordon has some information for Batman. But in this movie, you can see them actively working together, coordinating shit, having each other's back, going to crime scenes together, doing on the, on the low stuff together. It's dynamite. Absolutely dynamite. And, and Jeffrey Wright has some of the funniest lines in the movie. And they're all natural humor moments, like moments that just make sense. It's funny that he says them, but it's never a joke that's going to take you out of the reality of the movie. It's dynamite. Absolutely fucking dynamite. Jeffrey Wright fucking nails it. If you were hating on Jeffrey Wright before this, you were racist. But say, you might not be a racist, you might just be an idiot. Uh, <clears throat> Jeffrey Wright, Robert Pattinson, as a team, 100% kill it absolutely fantastic they are great together then you got zoe kravitz's catwoman and zoe kravitz's catwoman also killer also dynamite her relationship to batman and other characters in the film solid as fuck their interplay between each other fire like there are so many moments between them where it's just like oh my 
my god. That is exactly what Batman and Catwoman would do with each other in the comics. That's exactly how it would happen. Oh my god. Like, their relationship was so fucking... Like, it was perfect. Like, don't get me wrong. I loved Anne Hathaway. And uh, Anne Hathaway is actually probably my favorite Catwoman until this moment. Because now it's Louis Kravitz. Okay? Uh, but, like... The thing about Anne Hathaway's and uh, Christian Bale's relationship is that their relationship feels more, like, grown-up, more adult. Like, these are, like, he's an older man, and this is, like, they're having a very, like, that type of maturity level in their relationship. But this one feels raw and hotter and more connected. And the way that they interact with each other as they learn to, as they learn about each other is, is so good. It's so fucking good. Like, like it's like the thing is that the way the pieces fit together in this movie is what makes it great. Like I don't like maybe the movie would still be great if you changed one of these actors around, but it's hard for me to a picture picture that movie because they are so perfect together in this one. Now I will be I will be straight out. I've only seen the movie once so far, so and I'm a big believer that you can never truly know how you feel about a movie until you watch it a second time. But this just off my base reactions from watching it this first time. Wow. Dynamite. Okay, where was I? Moving along. Um, other actors in the film, other notable actors in the film is, uh, oh, I'm probably going to mess up his name. John John Totoro. No, Totoro. I still might be mispronouncing that. He plays Carmen Falcone. And oh my God. Oh my god, it might be one of the best mob bosses in a movie ever. And there's a, I'm not, once again, no spoilers, but there is a scene between him and Robert Pattinson that just had me absolutely fucking gripped. Like, I couldn't look away from what they were doing with each other. That They were both incredible in that scene. And it, oh man, it's just, yeah. It's great. And then you got Colin Farrell as the Penguin, who is also, like, barely recognizable as Colin Farrell. Like, he does not look like Colin Farrell. He doesn't act like Colin Farrell. He doesn't talk. He doesn't walk like Colin Farrell. At no point do you see Colin Farrell under there. Like, he is 100% this Penguin. Uh, Ironically, he does not have a British accent. (laughs) But, like, I didn't care at a certain point because... The transformation and the use of the character was so elevated. It was great. Absolutely great. And, yeah, absolutely, absolutely great. Um, let's see, were there any other? Paul Dano as the Riddler. Some people might claim that's a spoiler for me to call him the Riddler, but let's be real. We all know he's the fucking Riddler. Um, he is probably probably takes some of the bigger liberties with the character from the comic but at the same time he still nails a number of the elements of that character very truthfully and his performance is not like ledger's joker not at all um it you could say it is potentially in a way closer to joaquin phoenix's joker in certain ways although they definitely have uh noticeably distinctive differences from each other as well uh, but Paul Dano is great. He is creepy and menacing, and menacing in a very physically non-threatening way. It's it's very interesting. And there's just there's a couple key moments between him and Batman where it's like, oh damn, oh damn. Oh man, it's. Oh. I'll see her. There, there's lots of other actors in the movie, and they all do great jobs but those are the those are the biggins the the big actors who are right out there in front absolutely uh phenomenal uh performances from all the people i just mentioned so another thing you should know about the movie going into it is that yes there is action and when the action happens it is dynamic as fuck it's it's not like it's not like the warehouse fight scene from Batman vs. Superman, and it's not like Nolan's. In fact, arguably, I'd say it's somewhere in the middle when the action happens. Um, there are some things they do with the action that really delivers in interesting ways. The use of cameras 
and lighting are in, are great um, and dynamic and make you feel the action that is happening there. It's it's pretty spectacular. The way that the now I, I have seen some complaints that people were like, ah, I wanted him to be more of a a martial artist or a tactician. First of all, he's a tactician. He plan he's clearly planning a lot throughout the film. Um, but still, also this is young Batman. Like the film makes you aware that this is his second year being Batman, and you can feel it at numerous points. There's lots of characters who aren't used to him yet. He is there's a number of things he does in the film where you're like, well, that's clearly the first time he's done that, uh, and it's it's very it, it it works really well. What is? Oh man, I almost forgot the biggest character in the movie who is not a character. But it's the city of Gotham. It's the city of Gotham. And, like, the thing is, is that, once again, it's, like, the best combination of things. Like, it's got that groundedness of the Christ of the uh, Christopher Nolan Batman movies. But at the same time, there's a layer of stylization that also heightens it in a more comic book manner than Christopher Nolan's Batman universe. Uh, Gotham, that's the word for the Gotham of this world. It's, it's, it's like the city itself feels like a character in the movie. And in many ways, the conflict around the movie is about the city itself. And what is Batman or Bruce Wayne's responsibility to that city as the type of person that he is? I'm not going to give away the plot of this movie at this point. I'm not going to get into any spoilers right now, but let's talk about the story just enough to give you a taste, okay? I'm not going to go into any details here, but I'm going to tell you essentially the film is about accountability. The film is about accountability of the system that allows Batman and accountability of Batman himself. But not just the accountability of Batman, but the accountability of rich billionaires like Bruce Wayne. The film is about that accountability. It's the accountability of both the system and Batman himself. And that is a major focus of the film. Even, when it, even though that is a focus of the film, the film is also never shoving, shoving a message directly down our throats. It, it all lines up naturally and organically with the story they are telling resulting in a great sense of depth and, like, socioeconomic reverence. Uh, not reverence. Relevance. <clears throat> Could you say that the primary story is about Batman versus a psycho lunatic who is going around murdering corrupt politicians and mafia bosses and stuff? Yeah, you could say that's what the film is about. But uh, that is only the surface level. Underneath is an examination of Batman and his privilege, but also of the system, it's the justice system itself, and the corruption that that goes through all of all of humanity. It's phenomenal. So, like, that, that that is another thing is that the Christopher Nolan films each examined different aspects of the character itself. The first Batman Begins is an examination of ba of Batman and fear and how Batman is driven by fear and how that fear touches on the way that he reacts to the world. And the Dark and the Dark Knight is about is about escalation and about how about how the choices we make lead to other people's choices and affect each other. And then The Dark Knight Rises is an examination of essentially culpability and the consequences of your actions, but also addiction. Uh, I won't get into those because I'm not talking about those movies right now. But those movies are great in their own right. The thing is, is that the Batman has all of those themes in one movie together. Now, to be fair, they don't necessarily, all, not all of those themes get focused on in the same degree that they do in the Christopher Nolan's films because Christopher Nolan is sort of looking at those things very specifically in those films, this movie is looking more at how all those things come together into Batman. Into Batman himself. And then it has some more of its own themes on top of that. Let's see, is there anything else I want to say before I go into the spoilers section? Uh, so that is the thing I like about the film. It is, 
it has depth to it. It's not just a bunch of wham, bam, oh my god, that's cool to look at, even though it is a gorgeous looking film and a and the sound is incredible and just it is it is pure cinema pure cinema that movie that term's been around for a long time but it feels perfectly perfectly suited to this movie which is pure cinema but it's also pure and adulterated batman and one more thing i want to touch on that this film does that for some reason almost never gets used by other adaptations of Batman, whether they be movies or TV shows or comic books or cartoons or video games, something that so many adaptations of Batman are just like, eh, we don't need that part of the comics. Batman's inner monologue. Batman's inner monologue in the comics is on almost every page that features Batman. Batman is constantly analyzing and talking about things in his head, and the reader gets to see that. This movie has excerpts from Batman's journal where we get to hear his inner monologue. And on top of the incredibly expressive performance by Robert Pattinson, these elements also help to draw us in to Batman. This pure, unadulterated, concentrated Batman. So, do I think you should see the Batman? Oh my god, yes, I think you should see the Batman. The Batman is fucking great. Now... To be fair, probably one of the least child-friendly Batmans. Now, to be fair, probably one, I would have to hold all the Batmans up and like examine them to tell you for certain which one was the least child-friendly. But this one's pretty not child-friendly. Um, at least not if your children are easily scared, because the the Riddler is creepy. Like he's he's a creepy guy and he's a murderer. Um, and while the film is not super graphic, it is super, it, it, it never, it's, you still feel it. Like, you still feel, oh god, this guy is scary. You would not want to be left alone with him. Absolutely great. Um, what was it? oh yeah, I don't know if I fully addressed this, but I, like I said, I heard the complaints that Batman's not, not quote-unquote as much of a martial artist in this film. Uh, I, I don't really see that. And maybe that's because I studied martial arts. And the thing about martial arts is that the most effective actual martial arts for, like, fighting a person are also not the martial arts that look good on camera. And by that I mean that look super cool and exciting. Like, wushu is one of the main ones of kung fu that is used on camera. And it's very acrobatic. But if you were in a real fight, I'd be like, well, you'd probably be better off with Jeet Kune Do or karate or... a less uh a less theatrical version of kung fu but this bat and but i personally first of all this is still young batman but i feel like i felt like his fighting skills were fine he dealt out damage effectively and brutally um if like if i was fighting a person based on my level of martial arts training i would fight like him i mean don't get me wrong i love the warehouse fight scene from B from BBS, it's fair to note that's a more experienced Batman at that point. Anyways, uh, but I love that scene. But this is a more grounded way of watching a person physically fight a person. Um, so so there's that. Also, so it has to be acknowledged, Batman's real powers in this movie come from his bat suit because his bat suit is awesome. <laughs> like the thing you don't realize it when you're looking at it initially is how much shit he has built into the suit. I'm not going to give away the shit he has built into the suit, but he's got some really cool toys built into the suit. Plus, it's basically body armor. And the way the way his body armor works in this movie is you can see him take... There's numerous points in this thing where you can see him taking the shots from the bullets, and you can tell that he does not enjoy that when that happens. And that he is moving as quickly as he can to shut down people who are shooting him. Because it clearly looks like it hurts when he gets hit with stuff. No matter where on his suit he's being hit. So yes, I definitely recommend the new Batman movie. The new Batman movie is running on all cylinders. I barely felt the three hour runtime. It's not actually three hours. It's like, it's like, uh, it's, like uh, it's like two hours and like 47 minutes or something. 
um, the, the, the two hours and 55 minutes total with like credits. But I didn't feel it. Like some people have said they felt long to them. I don't know what those people were talking about. I was literally on the edge of my seat my whole, the, whole, the whole movie. I was gripped. Like the performances are so strong. It's so well delivered. I, I just couldn't look away. Um, I, th- there was an article online that was supposed to tell you like the best time to go to the bathroom during the movie. And God, when I watched the movie that I wish I'd read that article because like I just, there was a certain point I had to be like, I gotta go. I gotta go. And that, cause I always have to go at some point during a movie. It's inevitable. I normally don't make it through them. I don't know what's wrong with my, my, my nearly 40 year old bladder. I'm not that close to 40. I've been. Some days it feels like it. I 100% recommend this film. It is a, it is more of a noir mystery film than previous Batman movies. Which isn't to say that those movies didn't focus on some of the elements that would go along with a, a gritty noir Batman. They did. But this movie, it's concentrated. This movie, it's focused. You can feel the noir Batman detective vibe throughout. And it's... Mm. Oh, glorious. Love it. Absolutely. Fantastic. So my current thoughts on the film is I'd give it an A+. Five stars, two thumbs up, whatever you want to say. I have literally no complaints about the movie that truly... Nothing in the film at any point made me go... "Eh." Just really. No, seriously. I, I can't... I mean, like I said, only seen it once so far. You can't really get into a film until you've seen it more than once. Until I see this, maybe when I see it the second time, I'll start to see some of the flaws under the veneer or whatever. But as of a single viewing, it blew me away. And I had high expectations going in. Absolutely. Stellar stuff. So now, if you haven't stopped yet, here's the warning. This is going to be the spoilers, because I do want to get into a little bit more some of the themes that I'm taught that I mentioned are in the film here and really dig into you why I think that this is one of the most culturally relevant superhero movies ever made and also why it's a, not only one of the best Batman movies but also the best Iron Man movie we're going to get into that in a minute but if you're still listening and you want to see this movie and unless you're one of those weirdos who likes things to be spoiled for them before they see it I know you people are out there and There are a surprisingly high number of you. I'm about to get spoilers, because we're about to talk about the major thing about this movie that makes it so deep and refreshing. This movie is an examination of Batman, his privilege, and his accountability. That's what the movie's about. That's what this movie is about. For years, I've had to suffer through everyone having the same incredibly boring Twitter joke about, well, Batman spends all the time beating up mentally ill people and not, and not, not giving his money to charity. Huh? What's that about? And, which is, which? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Good for you. You have a common, you have a common people's thought of people who don't really read Batman. Good for you. Clap my hands. Hopefully this movie can finally put all those incredibly cold, cold takes. Like toaster waffle, you just you just put syrup on about two minutes after you took it out of the toaster. That fucking cold of a take. Practically worth putting back in the icebox. Toaster waffles are garbage. Uh, but I still eat them. Where was I? <clears throat> So yes, that's what this film really addresses and examines is Batman and his sense of privilege. Now, to really get into this, I'm going to have to drop some major fucking spoilers on you. It's just unavoidable if I to talk about the themes. So basically, the Riddler is on his killing spree calling out the corruption of Gotham City. And all the corruption eventually leads back to the fact that Batman's dad wasn't the man he thought he was. That Batman's dad was a politician who created a fund, a billion dollar fund that was supposed to go to support 
uh, low income and and impoverished and even and orphans throughout Gotham. This money was supposed to go to them. However, after he is killed, his associates, people like Carmen Falcone and all them, descend on his descend on this renewal fund that Bruce Wayne, that Thomas Wayne created and essentially loot it. Taking make so politicians and gang lords and all of them get their cut of this billion dollars to basically buy and run the city and install their mayors and their and their police chiefs and commissioners and that's essentially what's happening in the movie riddler wants to is essentially creating a series of traps and clues that all lead to uncovering the fact that that thomas wayne was just another corrupt politician and also to punish Bruce Wayne, because and this is the important thing, Riddler was one of those orphans who was supposed to be taken care of with the renewal fund. And instead, he lived in abject poverty while having to constantly listen to the media cry about Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne, the poor orphan whose parents had died, and now he lives in the mansion with his billions of dollars. And the thing is, is that Riddler's not wrong. That doesn't make him the good guy. If you're one of those people who goes, man, the villain had a good point. Maybe he wasn't so bad. You're an idiot. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, there's a reason why villains have good points. Because frequently, villains do have good points. It's not about the point you have. It's about the actions you take to live up to it, which is also a thing that's in the movie. And the marketing added to this specific element. Allow me to explain, because the film also addresses Batman and his effect on the citizens of Gotham and how his reign of vigilantism inspires others to be vigilantes. Because Riddler, Riddler thinks Batman's in on it with him. Riddler thinks Batman wants it too. Riddler thinks that Batman is just like him. And the moment where he discovers he's not is, a, is an incredible moment for Paul Dano, who suddenly realizes that he was wrong about Batman's intentions. Batman doesn't see them as the same person at all, even though the Riddler does. The Riddler sees himself as someone who is helping to wash away the crime of the crime and corruption of Gotham City. Now in the trailer, and early on in the movie, we get a lot of Batman saying, I am vengeance, after beating the living shit out of a reprehensible thug of a human being. Just absolutely wailing on the dude. And looking down at him and saying, I'm vengeance. And like, it, it was, it's a, in the trailer, it was a chilling moment that grabs you. And throughout the movie, though, he, he people call him vengeance. And he says... I am vengeance until at the very end after he has just laid into one of Riddler's inspired followers they unmask the guy and he look and Commissioner Gordon looks like Captain Gordon at this point looks down at him and asks who he says who the hell are you and he just looks up and he says I am vengeance and you can see it cut through Batman like a fucking knife because he knows now that Riddler was inspired by him. And then Riddler took his message and used it to, on the internet to inspire legions of other kind of, you know, loner white dudes to go violent as fuck. So the film pulls us into this element that Batman is someone who, even though his intentions are, are clearly aligned with sort of a lawful good type of deal, he is inspiring agents of chaos who relate to his need to go out and hit people. And you can see this start to affect Batman. He is being affected throughout the whole movie as 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 Selena Kyle is changing his as Catwoman is changing his mind about poverty and he's and the case is leading him into a bunch of corruption as he starts to understand that the cops are part of the problem and you, you're seeing him go through these realizations as he's as the film goes on and by the time you get to that point where this 
where this white, where this, uh, where this, like, angry, alienated white loner just, that he's just literally, like, pummeled his face because he was jacked on adrenaline when he did it, like, cut through him with just words. He's, he's now seeing that he has been part of the problem. And the film ends with him not helping people with violence, but helping people in an emergency situation where he is actively making sure that people are getting on rescue helicopters. And he's comforting people who, throughout the rest of the film, even people he saved are afraid of him. But at the end of the film, there's a person who reaches out to him for help and is afraid to let go of him until he comforts that person into letting go of him. It's fucking phenomenal to see the transformation in this Batman as he begins to acknowledge his privilege. And at the end of the movie, he has a moment where he could abuse his white male privilege once again because Catwoman's like, hey, I want you to run away with me and we're going to go all around just stealing stuff. And he just, he just looks and like, you can tell that part of him wants to go and that part of him wants to ask her to stay and part of her clearly wants him to ask her to stay and part of her also wants him to go with her. But neither of them are willing to ask the other person to leave the path that they're on because they don't feel like they can do that to them. And so they part ways, and it's one of the most perfect Catwoman-Batwoman moments in any comic book movie I've ever seen. Oh, my God. It was like, that's exactly what would happen. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The Batman-Catwoman relationship is done so well. It's It's... Zoe Kravitz, Robert Pattinson, dynamic together. Absolutely. My God. And the film writes and directs their scenes together in a way that is just... I, I, there's, it's just comic book perfect. It's... Oh, my God. They're, they're so good together. And there's... But there's also a scene where he's confronting Carmine Falcone. And Carmine Falcone... Um, just... Oh, my God. John, John Turturro with... Uh, with Robert Pattinson in this scene is it's an amazing scene because one of the realizations that Batman starts to have after this realization is like early in the film we were seeing him trying to fight his way in to Carmine Falcone's club and like they don't want to let him in so he has to do a bunch of stuff to so basically has to muscle his way in he's going through the nightclubs having to fight these people until eventually Penguin will talk to him but then later he comes back to the club as Bruce Wayne after he's just found out about Carmen Falcone's uh, connection to his dad. And so he goes to see him as Bruce Wayne. And just the scene between them is amazing. As Robert Pattinson basically approaches him. And you can see that he is just seeping both shame and rage. As he is now in a room with a man that uncovers his own privilege the fact that his wealth is built on corruption itself that he is forced into this he has had an idealized view of his father his whole life and now he's in a room with a man where he is having to just eat that shame in understanding that his father even though his father is arguably a better person than falcone or the penguin or these other people was still corrupted by the system and was still touched by it and he still profited off of other people's suffering and that he himself was an active participant in some level of the corruption. Even if it's kind of implied that Falcone took the extra step to make the favor more terrible. As in, Thomas Wayne wanted Falcone to just scare a reporter and Falcone took the extra initiative to be like, nah, he wants him dead. Or whether this was all part of Falcone's plan to, to kill Thomas Wayne and take over that billion-dollar renewal fund as well, hard to say. Well, hard to say with one viewing. Uh, but the scene between them is amazing. Just because I'm just watching Robert Pattinson there with his, all his shame and his rage, like I said, and then you got Falcone just being a manipulative psychopath right to his face and just 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 grinding it in there and just because he doesn't know he's batman he just thinks oh i've got now i've got power over this kid too that he sees the way the world really works and it's just it's it's an amazing transformation of batman as it addresses 
his white billionaire privilege. And the moment where the Riddler is confronting him is amazing because in the, the way the scene is going down, Batman thinks that Riddler has figured out that he is Bruce Wayne. The way they shoot the scene makes you think that Riddler is actively calling him out on it before finally Riddler says something and you realize, oh my God, he doesn't know. He doesn't know he's Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne was one of his targets. And it's just, I really hope that you did not watch the spoiler version before this because I ruined that scene for you if you if you're watching this with the spoilers. <laughs> if you're lis listening, I want to say watching, but I, I record these in audio. Uh, where was I? <clears throat> yeah. Um, I feel like this makes this film one of the most relevant to our time superhero movies I've ever watched. The way it digs into both socioeconomic corruption and Bruce Wayne's white pri Bruce Wayne's billionaire white male privilege maybe not so much the male part more an examination of his privilege that comes from his wealth really and also the accountability for both Bruce Wayne's actions because in the film it's, it's, it's addressed the fact that a newer more progressive politician wants him to be more involved with helping to rebuild the city and to help the, the impoverished citizens of the city and he's just not really paying attention to it because he's too focused on being Batman at the beginning of the film. But by the end, he understands that he does have to do more. That it's just, it's not good enough to just go out and beat the shit out of people anymore. How that will play out in the future films, we have yet to see. But it could be glorious to actually see this level of character development to Batman. And this is all done in one movie, which is the other thing. Like, Christopher Nolan, he spread it out over three movies. And... The fucking MCU is like, hey, let's spread out Tony Stark shit over like, you know, like 20 movies. Okay. I, that's not a totally fair assessment. It's more like eight movies because I, I don't remember how many movies he's actually in. But let me get back. To, so let me come to that statement, though, because here's the thing. When I say it's a better Iron Man movie, first of all, yeah, his suit is awesome. Like it's got like the first time in the movie he uses the flight features of his suit that's a great moment because you can tell by the way Robert Pattinson is doing it and it turns out that this is the first time he's used it. And he's using it in an extreme situation to escape. Absolutely phenomenal. Also, if you ever want to see Batman punch a lot of cops, this is that movie. <laughs> this is that movie. But what do I mean by the Iron Man comment? Um, yeah, he has a lot of tech in this movie, but that's not really what I'm talking about. Arguably the most tech, actually, Batman has had in the movie. Um at least in terms of the sheer amount of things that are built into his suit that he uses throughout the film, which is absolutely awesome. Um, but, like, there's even a line about this in terms of the privilege. Like, there's a part where... Uh, there's a part where him and Jim Gordon are going into a building, and, like, if you've been paying attention to the film at this point, you know he's got, like, a billion-dollar suit on him that's, like, basically bulletproof and has, like, a million weapons and gadgets built into it. And they come into a room, and they enter this this creepy building, and and he, and like Batman tries to call Gordon out about his gun, and Gordon's like, "The no guns thing's more you, that's more you thing." <laughs> and it's like, yeah, Gordon, Gordon's just a dude with, it's just a cop here, man. <laughs> he doesn't have that billion dollar suit. He needs that fucking gun. He's <laughs> like, I just got a gun. <laughs> you got a billion dollar suit on. I got this fucking gun. All right, let's just, I'm keeping it. But so like. Here's the thing about the Iron Man movies that drives me absolutely batshit bonkers crazy sometimes. And I, I want to state that this is the biggest failing of the MCU when it comes to Iron Man. Don't be wrong. Uh, first Iron Man movie is a classic. It's actually one of the, I would call it, call it one of the great comic book movies, actually. I felt like the series overall had a diminishing returns for Iron Man, with Iron Man 2 being uh, kind of dumb and Iron Man 3 being half incredible and half fucking trash fire. Um, hard to tell how that balances out entirely, but the second half of that movie, I hate. I hate, like, the first half of that movie, like, genuinely, I rewatched it, and I was like, man, the first half of this movie is genuinely great. It is a shame that the entire second half is absolute trash that is on fire, and some of that trash may be human feces. I... I don't know how to reconcile how the disparity between the first and second half. I don't know what happened there. It, uh, it, it's um, like 
how how did John Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. improvise a whole ass first Iron Man movie that is so much better than a third Iron Man movie that was actually written? It's it's mind boggling. But my point is, is that throughout those movies, we are shown a lot of Tony Stark basically being a misogynistic white male privileged douchebag. And no, I know few people on the internet. I have heard about the fan theory that he is coded as a woman, which I'm just going to tell you, I think is doing him way too many favors, okay? Like, that whole theory, what? Uh, it seems like a great way to me to erase the extreme amount of misogyny and male privilege that he exhibits throughout all the fucking movies to say that he's quote-unquote coded as a woman. Uh, no, he's coded as a libertarian uh, who hates the government and has uh, a heart condition for three movies, and then he doesn't anymore. Okay, today it's more than three movies because, you know, the Avengers movies are in there. God damn it. If, if, you, if you subscribe to that theory, then I have to assume that you voted way too hard for Hillary Clinton for all the wrong reasons. Okay, moving along. Iron Man, throughout those movies, exhibits a lot of self-entitlement, a blatant disregard for the oversight of others. He, he changes his views personally without caring about what other people's views are. He's very misogynistic in, in Iron Man 2 and even in Iron Man 1, although Iron Man 2 is probably the height of his misogyny. Um, the, he start, like, the films start to address his alcoholism and then Disney was like, no, 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 alcoholism is, is not child appropriate. And so they had to back off of that story. So we never got to see the accountability for his alcoholism ever. Didn't, they just ignore it after Iron Man 2. Ugh. And Iron Man just proceeds to be a fucking reckless dickbag throughout all of the movies, constantly making emotionally immature choices to spite other people or because it's just what he feels like doing at the moment, and so other people must be wrong. And he does this throughout the cinematic universe. And it's maddening. It's, it's not maddening because they do it, because these can be strong character moments that really develop things. It's maddening because the films never address it, and they basically let him get away with all of it because he dies at the end. Whoop! He sacrificed his life to save the universe. I guess we'll forget about all the supervillains he created, all the women he treated poorly, his blatant alcoholism, and just everything else. He gets to be memorialized like one of the founding fathers. He's like Thomas Jefferson. Everyone's like, oh, Thomas Jefferson, yay! Let's ignore all the black people he... All the slaves he raped, yeah! That's, that's what Iron Man is to me. Now, he didn't have any slaves, thank God. Uh, although, to be fair, at the beginning of his first movie, he is literally selling illegal weapons to governments. Like, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Jericho missile system would count as a cluster bomb and cluster bombs are illegal according to international law so you know he's a war criminal and we can argue that he accounts for this by becoming iron man except really in the first movie when he becomes iron man he uses it mostly just to uh murder brown people without oversight and then he proceeds to ignore oversight repeatedly until civil war happens and then suddenly and then suddenly one sob story gets him to be like you know what i'm pro oversight now now he's technically right in civil war that what Ca him and Ca what captain america and all of them are doing is is blatantly dangerous and politically reckless and they're basically a super powered military branch with zero zero accountability or oversight so he's technically right in giving them oversight however he's a super dick about it and he does and he doesn't handle the situation well and to be fair that movie is incredibly unfocused and eventually they stop caring about civil war shit and that entire argument gets dropped in in favor of i love captain america and i love bucky and iron man being like bucky killed my parents revenge and then they just fight like fucking children. God damn, that movie is overrated. And washed out and colorless.
It's ugly. Although, on my rewatch, it was not as bad as I initially thought it was. But I will say that every complaint that people had of Batman vs. Superman is also true of that movie. With the one thing being like, oh, Batman vs. Superman, the lighting's too dark. Captain America Civil War has the opposite problem of having shitty camera work and washed out colors. It's hideous. It's one of the worst looking MCU movies. Absolutely terrible in that regard. Where was I? I'm getting sidetracked. Okay. So, and then Iron Man just can't stop being a dick about it. Like, when Iron Man comes back from space, the first thing he does is blame Rog Steve Rogers to his face like a dick and then never apologizes for it, even though, even though it was his fault. He was the one who kept wanting to murder Bucky in cold blood after... After Captain America and him were on the same side again. It's just, oh, just ridiculous. It's ri Iron Man is an obnoxiously, emotionally unintelligent character. Like, he may be smart, but he's a dumb asshole. And then we come to fucking Endgame. Endgame. Endgame has a solid beginning. An awesome ending. And a middle that makes me just want to go out and start punching babies because it's such a fucking waste of time. I would never punch a baby. I would punch a senior citizen, though. Anyway. Anyways. In Endgame, beyond just being a dick to Steve Rogers and never apologizing or accepting his own personal responsibility for all the incredibly fucked up shit that happened in, in Civil War and how technically he is also to blame for everything that went wrong later on. Despite that... Shit... We then get to know, we then only see more of Iron Man being a privileged, self-involved dick for the rest of Endgame. Oh my god, is he an asshole. Just, okay, losing focus here. Okay, what was the first thing, what was the next thing in that movie? Okay, so the next thing that happens in that movie that makes him an asshole is this whole thing where, like, everyone else is like, hey... I've got an idea. We could use time travel to save an exponentially barely measurable amount of lives across the universe by going back in time and, and, and doing this thing to stop Thanos. And they're like, hey, Iron Man, we could really use your help with this time travel. And Iron Man is like, no, I don't want to do that because it might negatively affect my life that I have now. And I just, I don't know. You made a good point about saving the trillions upon trillions of billions of trillions of lives across the, across the known and unknown universe. But I just, I feel like, you know, I don't want to mess up what I have going on right now. So I'm outie, guys. Until later, he sees a picture of Peter Parker and he's like, oh, I do miss Peter Parker. I guess I will... I guess now that I see how this situation actually affects me, I guess I'll do something. Because fuck you, Iron Man. Fuck you. You fucking douche who only gives a shit when things affect him. Consistency in character about him throughout the films. Absolutely. He is a dick. Then they go back in time. And even though the films have made it very clear that Iron Man's dad was a garbage-ass dad. Like, he did not have a good dad. His dad fucking failed. He was a bad dad. Could he have been a worse dad, where he went around just, like, beating the shit out of him and, like, being abusive to his mom? Yeah, that would have been a worse dad. But being a neglectful dickbag who never is honest with his, with his son about his expectations or faith in him also makes you a bad father. He gives his son zero, zero commitment, zero help. And what's worse is that apparently he got to meet his son and his son told him a bunch of shit about being a good dad. And, and the thing is, is that like, I'm expected to sit here and think that this is a feel-good ending where he basically goes back in time and like basically forgives his dad and like gives him a pat on the back. I'm sorry. But what? 
What? What? What? What? What? What? No, that scene is dog shit. Absolute trash. Like, that's just fan service. Hi, wouldn't it be nice to make this a happy thing? Yeah! No. It's fucking trash. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's just ignore how your father gave you so many crippling personality flaws and led you into a career as a bad person at the beginning of your arc. No, your dad was trash. And not acknowledging that his dad was trash is just a bunch of self-congratulated, like, male bullshit. Ugh. So when I say that the Batman... And of course, just everyone forgives Tony Stark because he dies. And because he's dead, we will never be able to address all the harm that Tony Stark did to the world. Exhausting. It's exhausting to think about it. Because, ugh. Don't get me wrong. Robert Downey Jr. is a great actor. He did a good job. It's just, it's just, I would have loved for the Marvel Universe to acknowledge it. Instead of just putting it in the background, actually do something with it. Instead, they're just like, well, he died saving the universe. So I guess, I guess it's okay how, you know, he was a misogynistic dick. Who uh, always thought about himself first. And all that shit. Yep. I guess it does. I guess, I guess it does. But that's the thing about the Batman. The Batman gets us through this. The Batman takes the pro elements about Batman that are problematic and it puts them on display and it examines them and it digs into them and it shows Batman being forced to recognize and acknowledge these problems. And that's the thing that makes it both a better Iron Man movie and one of the best Batman movies. It's phenomenal. Like I said, I need to see it again before I can truly judge where it stands in the hierarchy and the legend of Batman. But for me, this movie was one of the best Batman movies I've ever seen. And I fucking love Batman movies. So yes, if you're still listening to this without seeing the movie yet, why did you do that? But if you are listening to this movie and you have already seen this movie, you don't need me to end this by telling you that it's a great movie. It just is. Thank you for listening. Please note that you can leave me voice messages on my Anchor account. And uh, I could even play those. I might, if I start getting those, I may do a segment on my podcast where I listen to messages from you, the listeners. So... Because uh, I desperately need feedback. So please, go to my anchor. Uh, and and uh, leave me some messages. Because I'd love to hear from you. And, uh, yeah. Uh, you can also, if you go to my anchor, you can also, if you choose to, uh, financially support me. So that I can create more content for you. Without going... Without, you know, becoming impoverished. Right. Thank you. Hey, uh, hey, Tom, can I, can I, uh, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure, Dave, what's up? I just, uh, I've been following you on Facebook here, and, um, you made a, you made a post the other day, and it was like, uh, for some reason it was a picture of Rick from Rick and Morty, and it was a, it was a quote, uh, post, uh, which I, I don't think it was a line that Rick actually said. But essentially, it said, you know, maybe Lex Luthor was right. And I wanted to talk to you about that. What do you mean? I mean, clearly Lex Luthor is the good guy of the Superman movies. Clearly had some good ideas and people just didn't understand him. Yeah, I, uh... Yeah, I just, um... So, you know, say that, and uh, it makes me a little bit worried. Because he was definitely the bad guy in those movies. And, you know... I just, I work here next to your cubicle, and, uh, 
I hear you grumbling to yourself sometimes as you're typing things in on the internet. And, uh, I just, you know, if you're ever going to come to work with, like, a, a gun or a bomb, could you just, like, text me a heads up so I can stay home that day? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. Okay, thanks, man. Uh, I'll see you later at the, uh, the ping pong in the lounge. Okay, take care.